Welcome to Buffalo Politics Uncensored. I'm your host, Vanessa Kluszewski. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Buffalo Politics Uncensored. I'm your host, Vanessa Glushevsky. Just yesterday, Jack Kavanaugh and I had the pleasure to talk with NY27's newest congressional candidate, Melody Baker. Melody is another candidate to join the race since Chris Collins resigned just a couple of months ago. And as a reminder, uh, that was around the insider trading charges that he ended up pleading guilty to. Uh, On the Republican side, Senators Chris Jacobs and Robert Ort and Attorney Beth Parlato have all been in this race for quite some time. We've also heard rumors that County Comptroller Stefan Mihailu has been expected to announce, though no announcement has happened as of yet. And up until last Tuesday, Nate McMurray was the lone Democrat seeking the seat. Nate McMurray came close to winning his challenge to Chris Collins, and many believe that he has a good chance of winning the special election, especially if it falls on the presidential primary April 28th. Melody is a charismatic woman who took a leave of absence from her senior level position with the United Way to throw her hat in the ring. But I'll let Melody tell it, so here she is. All right, so we're here with another episode of Buffalo Politics Uncensored, and we're super excited because we're here with Melody Baker. And Melody just uh, announced, what was it, about a week ago? Yeah, it was Tuesday. Yeah. This past Tuesday, so not quite a week yet. Okay. <laughs> so this is brand new, um, and we're super excited to be here to talk to Melody, and I'm just going to move my seat over a little bit because I feel like I'm not talking to you. Um, so thank you for sitting down with us and I figured I know that I read in the newspaper that you have a rural background which is really key to Uh uh, some key issues to this district uh, the New York 27 district so I figured you could just go into some of your background and then uh, talk a little bit about why you're running Absolutely. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I feel like this is a great opportunity. And I love the work that you are doing, especially cutting through um, and really getting down to the truth. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, uh, so yeah, just a little bit about my background. Uh, I, ru- I My family, we moved here from rural Texas, a, a very small place called Mansfield. It was uh, it's, uh, our family home, for instance. Um, it has uh, doesn't have has a septic tank, so not like traditional plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up feeding the chickens, uh, walking barefoot on acres and acres of land, so much land you couldn't see the end of it, mm-hmm. fishing in my grandmother's pond. Um, I mean, the, the picture of country is something that, that I think that if you had the chance to grow up out there and see the horses that, you know, you could only appreciate uh, just being out in that nature. So I do have a fond appreciation for um, uh, the, the rural community. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, a lot of people from um, farmland, uh, it we eat from the land. So to hear people talking about eating organic as this new thing, it's just something that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so my family moved here uh, 
uh, to Buffalo, New York when we were very young. Um, my father was an independent contractor. He's a cabinet maker. Now he's a carpenter. He's a pastor as well. But um, my sister was very sick. Um, so and my parents didn't have traditional health insurance. So they moved here for a better quality of life for my sister. She had a chronic asthma. And so uh, they felt like if they moved to a better climate, um, less chances of having to go to the doctor and, and pay that very expensive bill. I mean, we did not have a lot of money. Both of my parents are adopted, so they didn't have money that they can just pull back, pull from like some deep family roots. Um, my, although my parents knew their parents, um, they, uh, it was... It's, it's, it, they, they, they come from a relatively poor community. Okay. Um, my grandparents were, share, were share, sharecroppers. Okay. Um, so needless to say, we, we know a little bit about the struggle. So yeah. um, when, we, when, when my uh, grandmother's home was built, it was a monumental time for my family. My dad is one of six brothers, mm -hmm. and all six of them have a different trade. So my dad is a cabinet maker, the one who's really good with uh, wood. Um, my other uncle is a masonry. My other uncle is the plumber. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got another uncle that's an electrician. So you put them together, and you make a house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's where I came from. Uh, here in Buffalo, New York, or in Erie County, um, the only people who are actually here are just my sister, my mother, and my father, and um, my other sister moved back to Texas, but everyone lives back there. But we found a home here, and we absolutely love it. But I grew up in western New York, so um, I consider myself a western New Yorker for all intent and purposes, even though every time we go back home, I ride horses and, and spend time with my family down there. We, uh, we, consider, we consider ourselves uh, western New Yorkers, which is something that I'm very proud of. My, um, the first house we moved into, the community, was, uh, had challenges. Uh, so my dad uh, bought an, another house on, in, the near, in the neighborhood that we grew up um, at, uh, in, right across from Sisters Hospital, right off of yeah. Kensington, yep. that area, um, mm -hmm. on the east side of Buffalo. My father, so that second house my father bought when we were very young, um, was an $8,000 house. And my two older sisters, I'm the youngest of three girls, um, my two older sisters and I, with my father and my mother, we built that house. The inside of the house was burned. So uh, we, my dad being a carpenter, the, the, the three of us, my mom, <laughs> we all uh, put in walls, put down floors in elementary school. I, I can roof a house. It's, um, it's, where, it's where I come from. And I think that that is part of the story that um, many people in the rural community can relate to. In addition to that, the, the suburbs, you know, it's a the area and it's another community that, you know, I'm very much so heavily a part of. So um, to answer your question, why am I running? Because I live in the 27th district. I represent the rural community. I re represent the people in the suburban community. I represent the 27th district for all intent and purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. I mean, and I think that um, you bring a lot of unique perspectives Thank you. Um, to the table with having grown up you know, a lot of your childhood in an urban district, but mm -hmm. also having those rural roots. And actually, it's really funny that you're talking about this history of <laughs> having like a farm family yeah. from Texas, because I'm actually reading a book by Anita Hill, and I mean, <laughs> she's going into all of these, <laughs> these like similar issues, and I'm like, 
it's just so funny that you're bringing this up right now. But yeah. um, and it's really fascinating. Thank you. Um, um, so, so we covered, so we covered why you're running, and then I guess I wanted. Did you want to? Yeah, I was just curious because I really wanted to hear about this because I remember you saying in one of the interviews I read that you got to meet Stacey Abrams. <laughs> yes. And I was yeah. just like, that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> just, I yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I just really wanted to hear that story about yes. how you got to meet Stacey Abrams. Oh, that my God. Like, that was incredible. Um, and I'm sorry if you hear my kids in the background. <laughs> sounds like everyone is coming in. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yes, I was at a Strive Together conference. Um Apart from working at United Way as the director of education, I also own a small uh, policy and evaluation firm. Um, so I'm leading the research and evaluation for Rockefeller for New York State's Department of Health, uh, first 1,000 days uh, initiative um, for Rockefeller. Anyways, um, so part of uh, part of my training was attending this Strive Together conference, and uh, they said that Stacey Abrams was going to be the keynote speaker. I mean, I was there, so she was going to be on at nine. Uh, AM and I was there at seven to make sure I had the best seat in the house. <laughs> I mean, because I am a Stacy Abrams fanatic, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She was by far. I mean, if you think that she's great, like just reading about her or seeing her on TV, she's more impressive in real life because you know she doesn't have any notes to to stand behind. She's just she's just an incredible extemporaneous speaker. I mean, it was just a wonderful experience. But anyways. Um, Right after she finished speaking, I had the chance to, to ask her. Um, so in addition to the other work that I do, I'm also the co-chair of um, the Erie Niagara Birth, or I'm the chair of the Erie Niagara Birth to Eight Coalition. I'm the co-chair of Raising New York, which is a statewide coalition that is working to improve outcomes for children between the ages of zero and three and their families, essentially. So I do a lot of advocacy work. So my co-chair work is all advocacy. So. We look at other states and see some of the improvements that they've been able to make in those states. And we try to bring some of those practices back to New York. And so I said to Stacy, because I work with a lot of policymakers, I said, what is it will, that will make a policymaker align with your agenda? As a grant writer, when I write grants, there are certain things that you put inside of grant. You have to put inside of a grant that you're supporting basic needs, and you know you have to support it with data and evidence-based practices. Um, that's how you get your grant funded. When it comes down to policymakers, what is that magic formula to get a policymaker to align with your agenda? Um, and uh, Stacey Abrams said, the people who are passionate about the policies need to be in the positions to make the change. She said, you need to be the policymaker. That's how you change the policies. And so, you know, I kind of just, I, you know, that sounds great. But this is Stacey Abrams, you know. She is all, she's this incredible woman. Of course you can say that. And of course you can just become the, the policymaker. You know, you have many self-doubts. Um, so... She saw, you know, some of the, the, the my initial behavior, like, ah, you know. And she said, no. She said, let me tell you something. She said, women say, I have to lose five more pounds. I need a, I need a PhD. I need to, more experience in this. I need to, to do all of these different things. And she said, men wake up. And they have a gray hair day, and they say, "I'm running, I'm running to be the president of the United States." <laughs> and I thought for a second about a few of the men that I knew, and she hit the nail on the head. So I said, 
I'm going to run for Congress. You know, there are so many different things that I feel like I can add and so many different things that I can change, so many things that I feel like I can offer based on the work that I've done. I interned on, uh, on Mayor, Mayor Byron Brown's campaign when I was in college, mm-hmm. and I was knee-deep in, in that work, and I was very passionate. But if a lot of people know me, they know I have five kids, so, you know, life started happening. It was a little bit harder to be as involved. But, you know, like many people, the, the climate says that there is a certain level of urgency to make you want to get involved. Mm-hmm. So one day I made it up in my mind that I was going to run for Congress. I went to Jeremy, Jeremy Zellner. Well, I did a lot of other footwork first. I did a, a lot of interviewing from a lot of people or just interviewing them, um, just to legislators and talk to a lot of my national connections to, with my ad, with the work that I do advocacy, uh, with advocacy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and someone said, you need to talk to Jeremy. Uh, so I uh, went to Jeremy's office and I said, uh, uh, Mr. Zauner, I'd like to mm-hmm. I'd like to run for Congress. I mean, it was more than that. I brought him a copy of my resume and my bio, and I was ready with my script. And uh, Jeremy looked at me, and he's like, um, "It was it was like, are you sure you're ready for this?" And it was a uh, it was a uh, it was a very interesting dynamic, and I really had to prove that. That this is what this is what I was ready to do. Not only is this what I'm ready to do, this is what I'm called to do, and I have a tremendous amount of support that yeah. is going to have my back doing this. So that's my story. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a fascinating story. I say. <laughs> um, so, what is your what are your thoughts on this race? I mean, uh-huh. so you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of different dynamics oh, here. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, so you've got these rural roots, and that's great. Uh-huh. It's also, though, a very conservative district, right. so I don't know how that plays with your politics. You have a Democrat, Nate McMurray, who ran mm-hmm. last time against Chris Collins, who is vying for the seat. Uh, some of the rural counties, uh, the Globe counties, uh-huh. et cetera. Um, I should say that's Genesee, Livingston, Orleans, and Wyoming. Wyoming yeah. uh-huh. um, they have indicated that they are going to support Nate for the nomination for the special election because whoever gets the party, the nod from the parties, who ends up on the ballot, there's no other process to end up on the ballot for the special special election. I'm just saying that for listeners. Uh, so, so what's what's your take on all of that? Uh, that's a great question. So, um, yes, there has been endorsements made. Um, however, there's still a process involved. Mm-hmm. You know, a special election has not yet been called. Right. You know, and I think that we owe it to the people to give them a choice. I mean, our, the foundation of the democratic process was built on the ability for people to choose who represents them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it doesn't need to be the first choice. It needs to be the right choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And... What do you, how do you, I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about this being a very Republican uh-huh. district. I mean, it is. <laughs> um, and I know from last time when Nate ran, you know, he pretty much, nobody was taking his campaign seriously up until Chris Collins got indicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden it was a race. Right. So now Chris Collins has officially resigned. Mm-hmm. Um and pled guilty uh-huh. to insider trading charges. So, how do you, uh, what do you, how do you see the race shaping up? 
with that in mind and do you feel and then I guess I have another kind of question that's related to that do you feel that this was the best race to jump into or do you feel because I know that when I ran people said oh well the countywide race isn't where you want to jump in you want to do school board you want to do common council you want to do you know fill in the blank you know so what do you what do you have to say about that oh that's it that was an excellent question all three of them Um, let's see. So to answer your first question, uh, which was um, uh, this being a very Republican district, um, and I just want to make sure I answer it correctly. Can you just give me a... Well, because it's, it's so my understanding is that it's been gerrymandered. Right. So that yeah. pretty much Democrats, I mean, Republicans outnumber Democrats so much mm-hmm. that Democrats don't really have a very good shot at winning. And even with Chris Collins being indicted, he still won. Right. Um, in the last election, and so do you see this district as being your best uh, use of your time, basically, as far as because you're a Democrat and mm-hmm. um, running in a in a in a Republican district, essentially. That okay. So yes, that's a great question. Um, yes, I do think that it is the best use of my time. I don't think that. Um, I think that the current uh, climate that we're in will tell you that anything can happen. And believe me, I'm not Pollyanna (laughs) and I'm not racing on the basis of anything. Um, And I would not be in this race if I did not believe that um, that that I could win. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about my background. I am a statistician. I went to school for applied statistics um, prior to um, uh, my master's degree in executive leadership and change. I mean, that combined with giving people a story that they can resonate with Mm -hmm. and the stars lining up with a special potentially being on the Democratic primary. Mary definitely sweetens the pot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do think that what people want um, is they want someone who's going to work for the people. I think there is. I think that that message is something that resonates whether you're a Democrat, whether you're an Independent, or whether you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there's some other things that people have not uh, taken into account. Uh, this community, well, Clarence. Um, specifically, it's a lot more diverse than a lot of people have counted. Okay. Um, and I do know that because my um, one of the school districts that I support in Lackawanna has a large Middle Eastern population. Middle Eastern people have to identify as Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, considering the Muslim ban and a lot of the racial tensions that we've had, mm-hmm. these staunch Republicans who were very, very red at one point, mm-hmm. you know, they're starting to they're starting to change their mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's something to say. I think a lot of the people who uh, who were supporting Collins, they thought that you know he wasn't going to he wasn't going to be charged. Mm-hmm. And once they found out that he was, I think that you know it it made people think differently. Right. I do think that there is definitely an opportunity. I mean okay. that, and given that. Um, I'm receiving support nationally from a couple of national organizations who also is working on some polling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a, I think that there is an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> just checking with Jack if he had a question. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. To that, so it was, it was a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, I mean, from what I, 
from what I've heard, Chris Collins wasn't a very responsive representative. That's correct. And that was one of the things that frustrated a lot of people. Right. So what do you what do you hope to do with the district if elected? So the most important thing, one of the things that has made me uh, uh, get things done in my current jobs and, and the work that I do is listening. Mm -hmm. um, really understanding what people have identified as their priorities and getting to work to get those things done. Um, what people care about is seeing actions and not hearing lip service. I think that people are tired of hearing people doing a lot of talk. And if you look at my background, I'm not about talk. I, I will tell you mm -hmm. that, you know, growing up in a house with uh, 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 being the, the youngest of three sisters and, and where my parents come from and, and the work that we had to do with our hands, we always had to show results. Mm -hmm. I mean, my older sisters, they, you know, talk is cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do a lot of talking. But... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any way you look at it, any way you look at it, I learned early on that talking is not going to get you very far. I mean, charisma and elegance and or eloquence, uh, it, it, you know, it, 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 it might get someone to, to listen, but they want to see results. Mm -hmm. It's time out for people just talking, not showing up, not being there. That's what got us in, in the place that we're in now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I have to say, uh, I think you're very eloquent. In addition to Thank you. clearly being somebody who <laughs> can get results. I mean, you wouldn't be where you are today without well, thank that. You. So, um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm going to ask, I feel like I'm just going to ask this question because I feel like it should be asked, but how does it feel to be the only woman of color or only person of color running in this race uh, with a field that is crowded with a bunch of white men and then one uh, white woman? That's an excellent question. Um, I've been a black woman all my life. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, that's a space that not only I'm very used to, yeah. it's one that I'm very comfortable in. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I have to say is that when you're a black woman, you do have to learn how to transcend beyond race and beyond gender. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, people really want to see what you're able to produce. Mm -hmm. So I'm not running this race as the black candidate or as the woman candidate, but as somebody who has a message and someone who's really work, willing to work for it. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that will resonate with people. Because if I tried to run on race or gender alone, <laughs> yes. that, <Yeah>. that again <laughs> is not going to get me very far. But I'm, yeah. um, if anything, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to be a black woman and to be in this position. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, kind of like what you were talking about when you were talking with Stacey Abrams, and like I know I experienced some of this when I ran, you know, I think it's important for women to run. And then there's that line between, yeah. like, you know, like you said, being proud of the fact that you're a black woman and embracing that, but also not making that right the keystone of your right. uh, of your campaign right right so yeah i'm a candidate that happens to be black and a very eloquent one yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> um I so i was gonna ask you know specifically you know as we look for you know i would say for me i know i know the city very well mm -hmm. i know most of the county fairly well i know the issues i know the people I know kind of I have a sense of that when it comes to a district like this where it's like you know I mean it's you know all of the 
land basically between Buffalo and Rochester, right? Right. It's, like, it's pretty big. And I don't, <laughs> I don't really have a good sense of, like, and I'm curious what you identify as, like, what are, like, the issues that are happening besides, obviously, having a responsive, you know, uh, capable Congress representative <laughs> a step up regardless of who it is. Um, but, you know, I mean, in terms of, like, what the issues are that, are, that exist in those communities, uh, and it's such a diverse set of communities, you know, you have all the way from, I don't know which suburbs of Rochester are in the district, but then you have, like, Batavia and, you know, Clarence and everywhere in between, and so anyway, it's my, I'm just curious, what are, what are kind of the issues that are, that you've identified as being things that people, those people care about? Because I honestly don't know. So Jack, that is a great question, and you'd be surprised. Many of the same issues that we're dealing with in the city are a lot of the same issues that people are dealing with in those in the counties that we talked about, in Wyoming, in Orleans County, in Ontario. Um, you know, they have issues with, of course, the opioid crisis that's been affecting those communities as well. Um, healthcare, access to high quality education. Of course, the the biggest difference is definitely the farm issues. I mean, people want to make sure that you know they the environment is one that is conducive to growing crops and in a season that is not being affected by um, heavy pollution, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, 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 the, the issues are very similar in a sense. However, how we talk about the issues is what is the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, like you said, I mean, issues like education, like access, like... Yeah you know, having a quality of life, having access to um, the resources to have, you know, make a living, right. whatever it looks like. I mean, those are universal, right. those are universal issues. You know, like you say, it just looks a little bit different. When we talk about them, it's a little bit different. But, you know, I think you're right. You know, it's, um, you know, people are people and people need what people need, regardless of where they live. Right. I had the opportunity. It's it's interesting because um, politically I've not been involved, you know, in the rural counties. However, I've been heavily involved in um, other things. I was the Regional Opportunity Corps manager where my single job was to expand capacity to the rural communities to ensure that they had the resources so that their um, organizations would run and run well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would supply uh Uh, um, AmeriCorps members and extremely skilled people Mm -hmm. to support the work that they did at a very low cost. Mm -hmm. Besides that, I also I get it, get the opportunity to meet with like the rural home visiting association, who are also connected to the peer navigation people, and that's where I get these issues from. The same issues that they're dealing with are the same ones that they're dealing with in other parts of the state, in other parts of the other parts of the city. Um, however, transportation, which is a huge piece, is a major access point for them. Where in the city and in the counties, you have issues with transportation. If you just multiply it by by three, that will tell you the, the needs that they have there. One of the greatest challenges is that the, the, the city has a lot of great need and they're louder because there's a lot more people. But the rural communities have those same needs with even greater uh, a greater alarm because a lot of times, you know, there's not the level of transportation availability that, that, that is available in the city. Yeah, no, I, so I don't have a lot of experience uh, in rural communities, but I, I do know uh, having worked with a legislator and having, you know, talked to people who live in these rural communities that broadband access yes and you know like you said the transportation becomes a big oh, big yeah. deal for healthcare too right because if you live you know wherever in a rural community and you have to get healthcare right um and you have an emergency right 
and then that can be a huge right. deal. That can be yeah. the difference between life and death. Right. Yeah. Everyone, I just a bit of a step. When I was in South Dakota, there was the whole industry in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, one of the industries was healthcare, and they had like six massive hospitals because it was the only regional healthcare for 150, 200 mile radius all around the city. Um, because, you know, in some of those communities, you just, when it comes to hospitals, and right. especially if it's high level stuff that you need, not just like, you know, an urgent care type okay. situation, um, that can be that. And then also, you know, just like you say too, that transportation, when, you know, what's happening in rural communities with addiction, with poverty, all these things right. happen, and there's not the wealth of resources and concentrated, right. you know, I mean, Buffalo has like more nonprofits per capita right. than anywhere else in the country, you know, yeah. and they don't have that in, you know, other places. Like Batavia is not right. overrun with, um, you know, support for what they're necessarily dealing with in those different communities. So I think yeah, that's, a, yeah, I agree. That makes a lot of sense. To yeah. Me. So, I mean, I, this next question I'm kind of loath to ask because, because I feel like it doesn't, there are a lot of, of course, with any campaign, anybody that people want to know, hi, or, uh, people want to know how you intend to finance your campaign. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at the Buffalo News, they'll talk about how Chris uh, Jacobs is a member of the Jacobs family. Right. His family has names on buildings. Like yeah, he's, they own the Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. got, I think, they reported $775,000 in his yeah. campaign like account. About a, about a million. So, and, and as you know, because this is a, a rural area, this is going to the general election. This is not something that's going to be done in the primary like right. the city. So, um, so what? how do you feel about that? So uh, interesting that you would ask. My uh, uh, I've um, my finance guy is actually moving in with me. He'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> no, literally, he will be here tomorrow. We're getting his room together now. <laughs> so to answer your question, how am I going to raise the funds? Um, the same way that I've spent my entire life grinding it out, mm-hmm. you know, um, only coming up for air, mm-hmm. you know, making sure I'm pounding away, you know, at those phones and making sure that people are hearing the message and one that they're willing to willing to support because at the end of the day, a message means nothing in America without some funding behind it. Mm-hmm. So you do have a, a fundraising background then? Yes. And, and other experiences. So at United Way, I did more program work. However, prior to that, um, I did sales. I worked for David's Bridal. I was a top salesperson uh, there. So, and we worked off commission. So if yeah. you don't sell, you don't eat. Yeah. You know, yeah, I know what that yeah. life is like. And my husband and I, we were going through college. So we needed to eat, and we yeah. had kids. <laughs> so I mean, we knew how to we knew how to grind it out. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that the people who know how to struggle, just like that phrase, learn how to make a dollar and a 50 cents, mm-hmm. that's what you learn how to do. You figure it out. Mm-hmm. If you want something bad enough, you can find a way to get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say there are enough, um, there have been enough surprises lately. I mean, <laughs> we brought Kentucky Go Blue, which I don't think anybody could have ever thought that would ever happen. Uh, Louisiana is a Democratic governor, too, and he just won re-election. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, definitely, I don't think anybody could say that, uh, you know, a, waste, a race is, has been, you know, won by any stretch of the imagination. No, definitely not. It should be interesting. So, and, you know, I think 
we're excited. I mean, we're all, if anyone who listens to this regularly knows that we're all about more people trying to run and throwing it into the ring. Everyone's better off for it when you have, you know, more people out there, you know, um, no matter what happens, it's just, you're right, it's, that's what democracy is about. That's what the process is supposed to be about. And so, you know, seeing it actually happen is always, um, I think a good thing. Oh, I'm very excited about it. Um, I think that this was a wrench that no one was uh, 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 expecting, including Jeremy. I think he didn't know how to take it Mm -hmm. when I told him that this is what I was uh, intending to do. Um, But uh, that's what life is about, you know, to your point, Jack. You know, people have choices, and they Mm -hmm. should be able to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think if I, I think I covered everything. Is there, are there any closing thoughts you want to give? Um, you know, my closing thoughts would, uh, especially to what you asked about a little bit earlier, um, you know, the, the, I'd, I'd, I'd like the, the other counties to have an open mind, um, mm-hmm. to give me the opportunity to, to share my story, to learn, you know, what are their interests and, and to meet with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, my, that's my closing thoughts because, I mean, that's what America was built on. It was built on the ability to be able to have a diverse group of ideas and opinions, and that's why we're so strong as a country because there are so many different people that are building something together opposed to one voice. So give me the opportunity to present a case. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and I'd love to give you the opportunity to, to make that choice. Yeah. So that's uh, those are my closing thoughts. Well, I have to say, I think that there would be a lot of those chair people who would be hard-pressed to tell you no, because I think you make a very interesting argument. I agree. Um, I agree. <laughs> well, thank but you. thank you so much for sitting down with us. I really appreciate your time. I know how hard it is to make time when you're running. So. Oh, this is the important thing. I think that if you don't um, have these opportunities to share, you know where you're coming from. People can't make a, a, an informed decision. And so every opportunity, I, I want to be able to share that and, and to listen. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of Buffalo Politics Uncensored. And many thanks to Melody Baker for coming on the show and uh, for being such a gracious host and welcoming welcoming Jack and I into her beautiful home in Clarence and introducing us to her beautiful family as well. And uh, as a reminder, Buffalo uh, Politics in the Buff, our new happy hour event, is going to be happening on December 12th at the Tabernacle on Grant Street from 530 to 7. So please RSVP via the Facebook event if you can. And we hope to see you there. All right. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.